0: Everyone, this is Dr. Liz and you're listening to Include with Dr. Liz. This show is about everyone. All people, including you. It's about people and their diverse lived experience in this world. I chat with guests to get to know them, their identities and their inclusion needs, so we all have an opportunity to understand how best to include them. So together, We can create a world where everyone thrives. Ivy is a hiking-loving, vegetable-avoiding, ambitious and determined published author on the autism spectrum. Identifying as LGBTQI plus with chronic and mental illness, Ivy helps neurodivergent female entrepreneurs turn their passions into profits. Welcome, Ivy. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. Now, I want to know about this book of yours. Tell me, what's it about?
1: So I do have a poetry memoir that was published back in 2019. It is called Unveiled: A Poetry Memoir. It is split into three sections. It is my story, my pain, and my future. And it basically talks about everything that I went through in my childhood and what I hoped that my future would look like. And basically, I write for my own healing, but I publish for the healing of others.
0: I love that. What have you healed from? I need to now know this. Oh, (laughs) so much. And so much is continued healing.
1: It's always a process. Um, When I was three, my biological father attempted to end my life, as well as his own and my brother's, who was three months old. Then I went through childhood trauma and toxicity of living with a narcissist and going through all of that, um, which then led to bullying uh, my journey into a very young marriage and then a young divorce while going through my battle with chronic illness. And then that led to some other very toxic and unhealthy abusive relationships. And now I'm in a very happy and healthy relationship that I love. And I am doing what I love by helping others now.
0: I need to pause and breathe and take all of that in as all listeners probably are doing right now as well. I think even just sharing all those bits. I mean, that's a lot, like even just to start to unpack, right? But if really what it highlights is intersectionality at its finest, if you want to call it, because it's not just one thing. You're not just one thing. You are layers upon layers of experience and identity. This will be an interesting conversation today, I think. All right. So yes, it is about inclusion and like every other guest, you completed a questionnaire Big long list of identities to choose from. And you ticked off five. What were they for you?
1: So I am female. My pronouns are she, her. I also identify as bisexual, which is not always publicly known, I think, because I've in a lot of straight facing relationships. Not many people know it, but I tend to refer to my boyfriend as my partner, I also have autism and ADHD, which is only new knowledge to me. But looking back, I'm realizing that somebody should have realized this so much sooner. And then I also have 22 chronic illnesses. Almost all of them are incurable. And then a few of them are mental as well, anxiety, depression, things like that.
0: 22 Mm -hmm. chronic illnesses. Wow. Okay. So tell me about your health. I know I don't want to call them battles you know like there's these terms that people use okay let's just talk about your health for a minute how do you identify with your chronic illnesses if at all
1: yes so when you took that pause before you wanted to say battle my brain immediately said journey and because I see them as both a blessing as a curse if I had never gotten sick I would have never realized hey all of those signs and symptoms and those things were just warnings it was my body trying to say hey something's wrong take a personal inventory pay attention and make the changes that are necessary and you will feel better again i was the person that was working three jobs and 11 after school activities i had four i was a four-year varsity sport team member i was doing all of the things to try to get out of my toxic home when i was younger and so I didn't sleep. I stayed up late reading, doing homework, all of those things, making my body worse. When I got into a relationship with my ex-husband, things went downhill. I ended up wheelchair-bound and homebound, and I was on like 15 prescriptions a day. It was really, really bad, and now I'm at the point that I am listening to my body. When something is wrong, I take an inventory of what is around me, what job I'm doing, who I'm allowing in my life, and it makes... It's very clear to me now. It was not ever in the time, but it's very clear, like, hey, this is toxic. You need to get out of this. And then I pretty much, like, my symptoms cure after that. So I've been in remission for over five years. And I still have bad days. But for the most part, they're mostly good. And just the
0: occasional chronic pain is mostly the worst of it. (laughs) I like that you use the term remission because that reminds you that if you don't continue to look after yourself, that you don't continue to make good decisions that are in your best interests, then you could quite likely end up being very unwell again. Yes. And the
1: moment that even a simple symptom pops up for me, I am immediately taking inventory because I know what it's like to have my legs give out and to sleep on the floor because I can't get back up. I know what it's like to have to depend on other people around me, which it's not toxic to have to depend on others. That's okay. But I know that I was, it's not something that I enjoy. I don't like using mobility devices because it makes me feel a certain type of way. And that's just something that I have to deal with. Mm. But it immediately makes me think like, oh no, this could get worse. What can I do to prevent it now?
0: Where do we take this conversation from here? I mean, when you're that unwell, I mean, it sounds like not I'm using the word crippling, emotionally crippling, right? I mean, I can only imagine that then that really did then potentially be the catalyst for your mental illness. Is that how it Mm -hmm. connected for you?
1: Some of it. So because of the trauma that I dealt with in my childhood, I was diagnosed with um, PTSD at the age of three. And so then as I got older with the additional trauma I experienced, it went into anxiety, depression, OCD, OCD really should have led into the autism diagnosis and the ADHD that I didn't know I had. Um, But I will say that it is kind of a cycle of when my, it's hard because the environment you're in can cause the psychological symptoms, which can then cause the physical symptoms, but also the physical symptoms can also turn you into the psychological systems because if you know that you're getting sick, you can get depressed. But if you're getting depressed, you're not taking care of yourself. So you could get sick. Mm. And so it's this fun little
0: cycle that I try to balance every day. (laughs) The mind and body intrinsically linked. Now, there's a whole bunch of things I want to cover off here. One of them that just springs to mind is in the questionnaire, I saw you reference. So everyone hears of ADHD or ADD, um, all in the same sort of family in the neurodivergence family. But I saw you write AUDHD or something. <laughs> Help me out with that. What, did, what does that mean for yes. you?
1: So for me, um, a lot of people that have both ADHD and autism, they also refer to it as odd HD, which is just a combination of adding the U in there for autism. And so it's not anything crazy it's nothing It i'd say it's more new as well as a lot of neurodivergence i know that at first when i saw the videos on tiktok that was like hey maybe you have adhd i was like no somebody would have noticed and i always thought my brother had uh adhd and so when i compared myself to my brother i was like we are nothing alike he's impulsive and he gets angry and he does this and this and this and he's always hyper and i was like i was not like that And then I realized that I probably had what is sometimes referred to as ADHD or autistic burnout with academics. And it was, I did everything from the age, from third grade, I decided I'm going to be the first person in my family to go to college. I'm going to be the first person to graduate high school. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to do everything in my power to do so. And so by the time I got to college is when the burnout kicked in. I got really, really sick. That was when I first noticed a lot of my symptoms and I had to drop out of college two years in. And it was because I didn't realize I burnt myself out because I was the good girl that followed all the rules. All the teachers loved me. They were very surprised when they got my brother in their classes. And so to me, it didn't make sense that I had ADHD because I was like that teacher's pet. I did everything. They knew if no one can answer a question. They're like, I can call on Ivy. If they need an errand run, they'd call on me because they're like, she's not missing anything. She already taught herself the lesson.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You've just given a perfect example to illustrate how neurodivergence presents itself differently for everyone, but also particularly the stereotype of neurodivergence is generally presented through a masculine Um, profile versus how it presents in a female person so Mm -hmm. um, yeah thank you for sharing that now I'm wondering how did all this trauma and PTSD and desire to get out of a toxic environment how did that impact your relationships growing up
1: so my relationships up until about two years ago I'd say none of them were the best. My relationship with my family, we are currently no contact. And I would love to have a relationship with my brother, but I know that he still lives under my parents' house. He's still close with them. And so it's hard to have a relationship with him without being in contact with them. My romantic relationships weren't ever really good. (laughs) They often also became toxic. They often also affected my health. But I've realized that after the worst of the worst relationship I was in um, a few years ago that I've taken additional healing. I usually spend at least two years single after a relationship just to heal and work on myself. And after that, I now know what a narcissist is. I now know what to look out for. I now am very careful with the way that I speak to people so that I'm not giving them information to Trauma bond with me or to use against me in the future. And so I'm now very careful and aware of who I allow into my life because of the relationships I've had in my past. And I wouldn't ever wish it on anyone to say, like, yeah, you'll have the best relationships once you learn through trauma, because that's not true. Um, But I will say, like, I'm glad I went through the experiences I did to be where I am now.
0: Yeah, and I, you should absolutely feel so proud that you've been able to do that healing and identify when relationships aren't good for you because all you've had modelled for you or represented for you are relationships that aren't good for you. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's not always easy to see through that. So, I mean, that that's a huge milestone for you. So tell me about the process now of finding a relationship now that does feel safe and good and works for you.
1: The relationship I'm in currently, I'm still kind of in awe of how the universe made this one happen because none of it should have lined up the way that it did. But I was very careful in those beginning get to know you conversations because I had flat out told them, look, almost everyone trauma bonds with me. I don't want you reading my book ahead of time. I don't want you looking me up. I don't want you finding out these things that I should be the one to tell you. Um he was very respectful of that. And then I also made it very clear I will answer whatever questions you ask me, but I'm not going to I worded things in a way that they couldn't be used to connect with me if that makes sense. So when some narcissist will find out like your favorite food and your favorite color and your favorite movie so that later they could be like, oh yeah, I love that one too. And that's my favorite too. That's so weird. That's such a coincidence. I made sure to ask questions first and to see what their answers were. And then I answered honestly. And I had to very strategically, and I know that's not how anyone should start a relationship, maneuver through the getting to know you part. Mm -hmm. And truly getting to know my partner before committing to a further relationship. Um, Because then we were actually able to realize like, we have so much in common, but it wasn't built on trauma. Mm -hmm. And that even when we did discuss trauma, we were both very respectful in the sense that I think we had joked like, oh, we won't talk about drama until the third date. And so at one point, I think on our first meeting was about two weeks after we started talking because we were in different states. Um, he was like, I know that we said we wouldn't talk about trauma yet, but I just have to, I have to explain this real quick, so that we can like wrap our heads around why things are happening. We can talk through emotions and trauma responses and things like that. And he's like, I really don't want to scare you off. And I was like, It's okay. If anything, I'm gonna be the one that scares you off. Um, and so. We were very careful about when we discussed things, how we discussed them. Even now, um, if I'm overstimulated and I don't have typical autism t- tantrums, I more so get very, I withdraw and get inside myself. And then it's hard for me to verbalize the way that I'm feeling. And he's aware of that. And he tries to handle that. And sometimes I just get frustrated, and he's like, Stop crying. It's okay. <laughs> like, we could talk through it. And I'm like, Okay, just I need a moment to collect my thoughts. And <laughs> because even in normal conversations, I sometimes have to write down things to remember while somebody else is speaking so I don't cut them off and they lose their train of thought, but I don't lose mine either. And so sometimes when it's you add on emotions on top of that, it gets a little tougher.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you're describing my relationship with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, if anyone's listening and they are in a relationship with someone that may be like you, right, that's the purpose of the podcast is to learn about the needs of others so that if we are in um, any form of relationship, work relationship, friendship relationship, love relationship, how we can better understand them so we can better meet their needs. Now, you described respect as something um, and, and you actually put practical rules, if you want to call it, in place mm-hmm. to define what respect is. Because, you know, respect means different things to different people. So that was a, that was some great tips that you've shared p- for people. If we're making new friends and I become come into your friendship circle, what can I do? What kind of behaviours can I demonstrate to show you that I'm respecting you um, and that you feel safe? This is something I felt
1: very guilty about in all of my relationships with my friends is sometimes with ADHD, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. I might forget that you exist. If you are not, if we don't work together, if I don't see you every day, if you aren't around me, if your States away, because I often travel and um, my best friend that I went to college with, she's a military wife. So she's never in the same spot either. And it's our friendship doesn't end because we haven't talked in six months. So sometimes it's not, I want to know what's going on in your life, but I'm going to forget to ask. So sometimes don't feel like you're bothering me. If you need to message me six times because I responded mentally to your text, but I didn't respond physically, (laughs) um, please don't take it personally. And sometimes it's more so rather than you doing a behavior. It's like, don't take it personally. If I fall off the face of the earth, it's my bad. It's not on you. (laughs) Um, Also, I've learned and you see a lot of TikTok videos and things like this and podcasts about men talking about women in the sense of um, sometimes... Oh, Lord, that I, I lost my thought.
0: TikTok, <laughs> women, men talking about women. Yes, sometimes it's just that... Oh,
1: That's I right, just have pause. to come back to that
0: one. <laughs> see, see if it comes back for you. Because there's no rush, no pressure. Or is it really gone? That one might just be really gone <laughs> <laughs> well if it makes you feel any better i reckon that your description of your the ways of your thinking the you know, even just if your friends aren't there um replying to text messages or basically not replying just replying in your head you are describing me <laughs> like <you're> just, yes. <laughs> our friends might mirror each other yeah i mean i could not talk to friends for three years but they are still in my head. They're one of my best friends. Sorry. So I think the
1: thought was going to be about the fact. Oh Dear Lord, I just had it. <laughs> <laughs> it had something to do with the way. Oh, yes. So sometimes when women present a problem that they're experiencing, we're not looking for a solution. And a lot of men are solution oriented. We're looking for just, just to vent we know we'll figure it out. It's fine. We just need to vent. And so sometimes with friends and trauma and things they're experiencing, um, I like to, when I'm having difficult conversations with a friend or I need to talk about something, because of I've dealt with a lot of trauma, I also used to just sprinkle bits of my life between my friend circle and never tell anyone all of it. Mm. But it can also be just if you were having a really difficult day and you were going through something and you just said, hey, Ivy, I'm really going through something. Do you have the emotional and mental capacity right now to be there for me and to talk about it? Mm. Is you respecting whatever I have secretly behind the wall that I'm not talking about and just asking, is it okay if we discuss this? And if if you can't, I understand <laughs> Yeah. Um, Because hopefully both of us would have some sort of support community where we could go to somebody else. But also, if I'm in the mental and physical and emotional space, be like, no, I can absolutely be here for you right now. Bring it on. And then I might also ask, do you want to vent or do you need a solution? Like, Mm -hmm. where do you want me to be in this right now? Or do you just need me
0: to listen? I just think it's good advice for people to not take things personally when we have the courage to say, I can't right now now with all your illnesses and knowing that if you aren't caring for yourself and being really protective of your space and the people that are in it how does that impact your ability to work or be in a workplace
1: I was always the person that worked like three jobs until I got my first big girl job in the marketing Um, and that was one of the most toxic jobs that I've ever had And when I noticed that my health started declining because of that job, I being a type A planner and an Enneagram six said, I have to create a new plan. I have to figure out what I'm going to do, who I'm going to work for next. Like, where am I going after this? I didn't have any of those things lined up when I got the worst of the worst and I quit and just let them know this is my two week notice. And they asked, where are you going? I said, I have no idea and I've had to block that employer on all social media from reaching out. I've learned that I need to do that personal inventory of, if I am starting to feel unwell in any situation, I need to leave that situation. But I was also, which should have been the red flag from the beginning, during that interview informed, because you did make it clear that you are disabled and you do have these health issues, I almost didn't hire you. While those types of practices are illegal, they still happen. And so there have been employers that have said, like, I am concerned that what happens if you end up in a wheelchair again? What happens if you end up in the hospital? And I understand we all have to run businesses and it's not going to help if I'm somewhere else and I can't work. But That is also part of why I decided that seasonal work is good for me, um, why being an entrepreneur is good for me. Especially, I decided to try out seasonal work last year, and there were parts of it I loved. I was able to only work for five months of the year, and I made the entire salary for my whole year. And so I got to just travel for seven months. But I also realized on a day where my Went down so bad that I could not get out of bed and I called out for the only shift I had called out of the entire time I worked there. That I don't ever want to do that again. So that's when I decided I was going to pick up my business again, that I'd put on the back burner and allow myself the grace to create a business
0: that works around my brain and my body and my personality type. Uh, I mirror exactly what you say there. How valuable project style type work works for people that are physically impacted by overworking um particularly if their style is to overwork we're in good company here Ivy so much in common And, and quite honestly for me working for myself worked better because I am so honest and open and direct uh that's always that's not always a uh A good trait for an employee can be quite uh, (laughs) career limiting, but also because I do get very impacted by my external environment. So if it is a toxic environment, I physically get sick. Um, So I hear you. It is so important to very carefully pick your environments. And I want to pick up as well is for those going through an interview process and trying to find the right cultural environment for you. It's not always about cultural fit. But do look for those red flags. So the one that Ivy shared was really illegal. Yeah. Um, and really obvious. Ivy, I wish I'd had given you some coaching before that. Yeah, <laughs> I had one that I did turn the roll down because I saw the red flag. It wasn't illegal, but it was when I was just going through a process of really recognizing my authentic self and knowing, that I wasn't going to give some of it away, right? Like I was, it all has to come with me. You get all of me. And I had gone through copious numbers of of interviews and this was to be very senior in a university. And um, (laughs) the final uh, interview was with the Vice-Chancellor. I usually say at the end end of an interview, so is there, you know, are there any hesitations? Are there any reasons that you wouldn't hire me? And he says, well, we have talked about, we're wondering if we could cope with your energy. Like, with it's a lot. I'm not sure we'd be able to cope with that and keep up with it every day. Finished the interview as it normally naturally finished and then when they called me that day to offer me the job, I turned it down. And they're like, why? <laughs> well, because you if you don't appreciate that that's only part of me you got me for an hour in an interview that's not me 100% of the time um so bye
1: yes and I love that because you made me think of so many things when you were talking about it I know looking back there's so many things now but I'm like oh well that was the autism and that was the ADHD and that should have been fine (laughs) one of my previous employers, any time that there was a problem within the business, I was like, okay, well, if this is what we do for the clients, I'm going to provide a solution to them as well. And one of the higher-ups said, it kind of bothers me that you never give me the opportunity to problem solve. You always have the solution. And I was like, um, I just don't Is the definition understand of it. the ideal employee? <laughs> And then they also informed me, um, we can be working on a problem for six weeks and not know what to do. And you come in here immediately with a solution. It just comes off the top of your head and it's perfect. And it makes me feel really stupid because to me, I was like, but I'm here to solve the problems. That is what I'm here for. Mm. And it, I didn't realize that between my Enneagram and my human design type that I am here to cut corners find the easiest solution without wasting time to look at every what if to solve it ahead of time so we never endure it
0: okay. I I don't understand so that says way more about him in that uh than it does about you so Ivy tell me with all these superpowers we talk about how are you bringing those to the world what is it that you actually do for work now
1: Yes. So in addition to being an author and working on my books, I am also what I consider an online business strategist for neurodivergent authors and entrepreneurs. At this point, I take them through my business was called Perfectly Ambitious. I take them through the Perfectly Ambitious Success Framework to set up all of their content, their systems, their automations, everything so that they can delegate, implement and whatnot, their systems and strategies. In order to scale their business effortlessly with their brain and their personality types, because they are neurodivergent, things work different for them. I basically just work from somebody from the idea to full-blown creation and automation. I love everything that I do, and I help do everything, basically. If I can sit there and help you pick out the name and then buy the domain and claim all the socials all the way to creating an evergreen uh Podcast and newsletter and socials. I will do all of it, go above and beyond for my clients, really just to make sure that if they're having a bad mental health day or a bad physical day or something extenuating in their life is happening, that their business can run without them Mm. and their business and their sales don't have to suffer because of it.
0: Oh, I love how you're approaching it from the whole person. Perspective. We make these assumptions that being an entrepreneur means that you have to be aspiring to be the next unicorn or, you know, make millions or however many zeros are on the end of your financial statement at the end of the year. That's not the definition of success.
1: And that's something that I work with my clients on in the first section of the framework is clarity. And it is also getting clarity, not just on who you want to be working with, but what success looks like for you, what your ideal fully booked out looks like for me I take client calls three days a week and I only work with clients on those days I only take two calls per day and that gives me because I sometimes hyper focus that gives me multiple days in a week that I can fully hyper focus on a project if I could produce an entire course in a day I have that space in my calendar Mm. and same with I know I only take podcasts on Tuesdays, and I only try to do up to two a day. I tried three one day, and that was too much. (laughs) Um, So I really, for me, being fully booked out, being successful is completely different than somebody else. I once worked with a coach that was trying to get me to rest more. But her goal for me was for me to change my entire business to be fully booked out, before doing everything else that I wanted to do, create courses, work one on one with clients, things like that. And I was like, that's just not going to work for me because I don't want to be fully booked out. I don't want to have 10 calls a day, five days a week. That doesn't sound good for me or my body or my brain. Mm-hmm. And so, having your own definition of success is so important. And holding on to that definition throughout your entire journey with entrepreneurship is. Super important.
0: Paramount. And I and I think we should also, because not everyone listening is going to be self-employed or you know, view themselves or identify as an entrepreneur, but determining your non-negotiables, setting your boundaries, defining what it is that you want absolutely is relevant whether you are self-employed or if you're an employee in an organization. And I do obviously say this from a point of privilege, but try to go in search of that right place, Um, whether it is just a different store or a different organization in the same industry. It's not always about changing your whole career and doing something completely different. It can just be about choosing a different environment.
1: Yes, absolutely. I know with one of the employers that I had, I had to set very firm boundaries that I didn't think I would ever need to set um, to the point where I made it very clear after a certain time I no longer wanted to receive text messages about things doing with business, which then resulted in me receiving emails at all hours of the night. And I then informed the employer, I will be turning off my notifications from this time to this time, and I will respond to things in the morning.
0: Mm. And
1: while that was a problem to them, I felt better knowing that every time my phone went off, it wasn't about work. I didn't have to think about work when I wasn't at work. And eventually when I decided that I was going to probably be leaving that job, I think they caught wind of it and they decided to give me a bonus and a $2 an hour raise. So it's important to know that your boundaries are important. And if they want you and they want you to succeed with them, they're going to take care of you Mm. or they're going to see
0: you as valuable and you can still choose
1: to leave yeah
0: great empowering advice ivy i want to thank you so much for your time today now all of your contact details i'm going to put them in the podcast description so if anyone wants to get in contact with you and work with you they can get those details there perfect